get back home to go ahead and take them. Now, therefore, everything stays clear. Well, it's been a good week. Amen. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> Tuesday I have my colonoscopy, so I can't eat any ribs on Monday, so I'm going to eat them today. <laughs> just plan, just that whole area where sometimes you plan wrongly. You know, the Holy Spirit is that person that all of us have great need of, but oftentimes miss it. Because what we hear about and what we should hear about is Jesus. And in the Christian world, sometimes we get lopsided. Either we have all Jesus, or over here we have all the Holy Spirit and all the actions of the Spirit rather than seeing them together and that they work in unison and that we need to have each of both because absence of that knowledge of the Holy Spirit leads us to grieve him, quench him, and vex him. Um, and oftentimes we don't know we're doing that. And why we don't know that we're doing it? Because we're not aware of his presence. We don't sometimes see him as a person. Now I hope last week we got the understanding that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your presence with us. Not just the Father, but the Son and the Holy Spirit. That it is the triune God who makes his abode in our life. And Father, we thank you that we are your temple. And that, Lord, we're learning how to cleanse this temple. We're learning, God, how to live with you and not against you. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive us of our lack of sensitivity towards your presence. Towards the presence of our Heavenly Father of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, and the one, O oh God, who is a gift unto us, the Holy Spirit. Make us, Lord, kingly aware, not just to have Bible knowledge, not just to have our theology down pat, but that, Lord, we know you personally. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us for our thought life, our wrongdoings, our wrong motives and actions. And that, Lord, you will make us more sensitive to the will of the Holy Spirit, more so than just our own fleshly doing. That we can truly walk pleasing unto you that we can live lives that are worthy 
of being called Christians. And that, Lord, we can demonstrate a love for you that is far, far above what we could ever imagine. That we can give of ourselves. That is our reasonable service to just give of ourselves to you. And Lord, teach us, as one songwriter has penned, to give ourselves away. To give ourselves away to you. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week was a lot of time in the library. A lot of time at McDonald's reading and studying and and just thinking. And while I was at the library, I went back through liberalism. I <clears throat> was able to study it again, fundamentalism. Uh, I was again looking at the area of who started what is called the social gospel and discovered, boy, it started right here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Congregational church in Columbus. And and just an excellent time of reading, but allowing the Holy Spirit just to speak to and, and to share. And there's those times, yes, you do need just to get alone. Why? To refocus, to renew, to rethink. I even got into some studying a little bit about Buddhists. And reading up on it to remind myself of some things. Because this started back in the time of Daniel and so forth. And uh, the Buddhists, boy, in their main statement, basically take a thing right out the Bible, basically. And it's dying to self or the non-existence of the self-life. And the whole process is to get the person to deny themselves. To deny themselves. Amazing. And yet the scripture calls us to die what? To die to our self. And that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. To bring us to a place where we're dying to ourselves. But we fight against them so much. And what we want to talk about this week is simply, boy, that area. Where's my little machine? Something's missing up here. Um... Uh, that whole area of us dying to ourselves. And we have to get to that place. In order to get there, though, we need to be aware of the things that stop the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What are those things that Stop us dead in our spiritual tracks, in our spiritual growth. What are those things that stop us from longing for the Lord Jesus Christ, wanting to know more about him? What are those things that really hinder us from really surrendering to the Lord? What are those things that get in our way? And somehow become more important than Jesus. And we find ourselves drifting away from the Lord rather than being drawn to the Lord. 
What are those things? And those are the things that the Holy Spirit has to deal with in our life. The sin against the Holy Spirit is the refusal. And oftentimes, we're not even aware how we're refusing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Because we've taken on so much of Christianity as something we have to do. We have to do. The only real thing that you and I have to do as Christians is to decide if we're going to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He wants to direct everything in our lives. He wants to order our footsteps. He wants to order our thinking. He wants to order all of our movements in our life. But yet somehow we think we're in this control seat and we are the ones who are going to do it. And that's one of the reasons, even for myself, I'm not where I should be in the Lord because of my own refusal to be totally 100% obedient to the Holy Spirit. And we all struggle with that. Every one of us. And it's the refusal to allow the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation to work within one's life. It's like a man who is 30 and 40 years old, 50 years old, who still wants to be a teenager. He'll dress like a teenager, want to talk like a teenager. The Lord taught me a couple of years ago, stay off the basketball court. The knees and back just don't function that way anymore. So when I found myself using the cane and doing this and doing that, no more basketball. So I can go to the Y now and walk on past the gym. You know. And basketball was one of them things that, boy, I thought I was pretty good at and did pretty well. You know, name in the paper and this and that. And some guys even now, they'll still remind us that we'll talk about the games that we played in high school and so forth and this and that. Uh, nothing wrong going down memory lane. You just can't live there. <clears throat> and we do that in Christianity. The Spirit wants us to grow. We want to stay here. We move to a new stage not recognizing it, but we still want to be over here. And we're battling with the Spirit in that process. And oftentimes we miss it, that He is the one who causes us to grow. But when we grieve him or quench him or vex him, we're hindering his progress in our lives. Go to John, and, and I want you to look at this because I'm going to give you six reasons or six types of people that the Holy Spirit is working with. Uh, there's, only, there's only so many traits. I get, there's only just a few basic personalities. And we all share those personalities. There's only just a 
few basic ones. There's only a certain traits of people or habits of people. Basically the same when you start putting them into the list and so forth. Somehow we, we do look different and we think we act differently, but that person over in Russia, China, Africa, he's after the same thing I'm after. He wants the same things for his kids that I want for my kids. And somehow we think we're so different and we're not. But the Holy Spirit has to deal with all of us. So in John chapter 12, pick up with me in verse 36. John 12, verse 36. 25, get these eyes straight. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. Now, now, now listen to what he says. Learn to put your trust in the light when? While you while it's there. become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus hid himself from them. Now, 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, in their what? In their presence. In their presence. They were able to see that there is something different about this man than other religious individuals. Plus, if you look in your own life, there is something God does that will make you keenly aware of his presence, if you will acknowledge it. That he's doing something. God is not trying to hide himself. God reveals himself. And he says, in their presence, they still would not, what? Believe. Though they're seeing the miracles, they're seeing what is happening, but they choose not to what? Not to believe. That's hard for some of us to accept because, boy, If I just see this, I'll believe it. If, Lord, you just do this, I'll believe. No. Remember one in the Bible who asked the Lord, let him go back to his brothers, let him tell him about this place of torment, this place of hell. And Jesus simply said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Because they see you again or hear from you don't mean that they would believe. If they're not going to believe Moses and the prophet, they're not going to believe you. And he brings up this point here. That all these things are done in their presence and they would not believe in him. And they chose not to believe. They chose not to believe. And it's something that we have to recognize that people make that choice. 
They choose not to believe. And you also choose to believe. Your choice. You only have those two. There's no middle ground. You can't say, well, I'm going to stand in the middle. There is no middle ground. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're what? Against me. There's no middle ground. There's one or the other. Go to John 5 also now. 39 through 47. John chapter 5. Pick up at verse 39 to 47 with me. You diligently study. Just because you study does not mean that you will understand or grasp what you study. There's a lot of professors in what is called philosophy that reads the Bible but they don't believe the Bible. They study it because it is part of philosophy. And what is philosophy? Just a behavior of life, a lifestyle, how people will choose to live. That's all philosophy really boils down to. And he says, you search the scriptures and you're studying the scriptures and you do it diligently because you think that by them you possess eternal life. You think that you possess. And man is always thinking he possessed something when a lot of times he don't possess it. But he can think it. But he really doesn't have it. It's like a person who can think, I have a million dollars, but really don't know it. Don't have it. That saying is true. A lot of us think that way, therefore we spend what we don't have, but we call that debt. And eventually it comes back and does what? Bite us. Because we think we're rich, or we think we have more than what we have. Therefore we spend more than what we really do have. Because we think we have more than what the reality really is. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about who? About me. These are scriptures that have been given that are written that gives testimony of me. Now you got to wrestle with that. Is it the Scriptures themselves that gives you eternal life, or does the Scripture point to a person who gives eternal life? And the Scripture points to a person who gives eternal life. And he moves on and he says, Yet you refuse to come to me. Now, I I want you to catch how often the scripture is saying, You refuse, you don't believe, you don't this, you don't. Because it's important to catch that. 
Because, see, you're not the one who makes these final decisions. You are prompted into it either by Satan or by God. You're kind of like guided into it. And he says, you refuse to come to me and to have life. He says, I do not accept praises from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name. You do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe in how can you believe if you accept praises from one another? Yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. Men can say, oh boy, you're great. You're a man of great faith. And you'll hear people say that about Muslims. You'll hear that people say that about people who believe in Buddha. You'll hear people say that about people who believe in something else other than Jesus Christ, that you are a person of great faith. And the reality, what Scripture is saying, you're a fool. You're a fool. You're a fool. For putting your faith or trust in something else other than the living God. And he continues on to finish up here. I think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you hope, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, now catch the point he's going to make. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? If you don't believe what Moses wrote about me, how are you going to believe what I'm going to share with you? And part of our problem is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he is the only one who can set truth before us. No man can set truth before you like the Holy Spirit. No man can convict you of that which is true but the Holy Spirit. And one of our problems today with people believing is that they hear so much and there's so much to be read. If the understanding of what they're reading and what they hear do not come from the Holy Spirit, they will be individuals who are confused and lost. And we live in that time. That the Holy Spirit works with at least six kinds of people. That the Spirit has to work with. 
See if you fit in one of them. The first one we just talked about, in a sense, the, the, the one who just will not repent and who chooses not to believe. Now, everybody said, oh, I believe. The question is, what are you really believing in? Sometimes when people tell you that they believe, and I was sitting with an individual, and uh, he was sharing with me the process of which they go through different things with different people, <clears throat> and I asked him this question. Do you understand Christianity among Caucasians are looked upon one way and Christianity among African Americans are looked upon in another way? And that when you're asking those same questions sometime, what you're doing is just general, but you need to get Pacific. That when you're interviewing African Americans, you need to ask them Pacific questions. Very specific. To really have an understanding, do they really have any real grasp and understanding of the scripture other than just saying, I'm saved and I know Jesus. You need to talk about some scriptural things in a very specific way. Not in a general way. That's important. Why? We have many churches that never open this Bible. And to get understanding, you got to open the Bible. To get understanding, the Holy Spirit has to interpret this Bible. To get understanding, there has to be a relationship and a desire to know more. So the Holy Spirit, he begins with even that unbeliever that he's come into the world to convict people of that which they're believing in that is wrong. He convicts them of their sin. He convicts them. We don't convict anybody. We share with people. The Holy Spirit has to do the convicting. But there are those who will not repent. They see the signs. They see this. They see that. But the Holy Spirit strives with them. But in Genesis 5, he says, My spirit will always what? Strive with men because it comes to a place that, yes, is just turned over to a reprobate mind. Why? Because there's no desire to really know the Lord. Or to follow him. There's no real desire. God doesn't have to put anybody in hell. God doesn't have to condemn anybody. Why? Left to ourselves, we will what? We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it in our disobedience. We'll do it in our unbelief. He doesn't have to do it. We do it to ourselves. The second person are those who want to believe but struggle. They're struggling to believe. And the prayer has to become, Lord, help me in my unbelief. 
There's a basis of belief, yes. But there's that area where there is that struggle. Is this right? Is that right? Is this over here right? Is that right? Because we hear so many different teachings and philosophies over subject that it becomes confusing. One of the worst things that have ever happened to Christianity in one sense was to go on TV. Why? You can hear one guy saying one thing on one station, turn it to another, and they'll contradict what you just heard. And all the different schools of thoughts and theology. Whether it's liberation theology, conservative theology, hyper-theology, whichever way you want to put it. All forms of theology. And it becomes a struggle to believe. And what to believe. If you ever want to see that, Talk to our young people. Because they don't know what to believe by what they even see in life and what they hear. And they try to put the two things together. One person saying this, but I'm seeing life this way. And it is a struggle. Unless the Holy Spirit convenes. And the Holy Spirit convicts and the Holy Spirit teaches. And there's a learner who wants to learn from the Holy Spirit. And then Mark 9 simply said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. And what he admitted was this, he was struggling. And there's times you and I have to admit that we're what? struggling. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're struggling. Why? You don't know it all. Pastor Brown don't know it all. We don't know it all. And we struggle in our areas of faith, in our areas of belief. We struggle with it. The third person is those who have no desire to grow in their salvation. Oh, I'm saved! But I don't want to grow. I don't want to grow. Now right now, the little girl's acting like a baby. It's okay for her to cry. It's okay for her to make some noise. And guess what? We're not going to chew her out. We're going to put a pacifier in her mouth. See? We're going to play with her a little bit. See? But boy, you let one of these 14, 15 year olds do what she does, now there need to be some correction made real quick. When you see a, a 25, 30-year-old acting that way, some correction need to be made real quick. Okay? And part of the problem with Christianity is this. We don't strive to grow. We don't do the necessary things that are important to grow. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I am going to bring it up. <clears throat> We're so quick. And giving God 15, 20 minutes on Sunday morning and think we did something. Go anywhere in Scripture and show me where Christ only spoke for 15 minutes. Paul started at noontime or dinner time, didn't finish up until midnight. To preach the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, it took well more than an hour to preach that sermon. 
The time he spent with feeding the people even. Time. And then on Sunday morning, when the people started gathering to break bread, it was not for no half hour, 20 minutes, 45. In this culture somehow, we think we can gather much in 15, 20 minutes, and then we're off. And the, the real sad part is this. We don't love to hang around God's people and His Word. That's the sad part about it. Now, I understand something. Holding church three, four hours, five hours, that can be a long time. But tell me something. How many of you went to school for one hour? Show me a professor. Professors hated 45-minute classes. Because time they just did their introduction, it was time to go. Professors really love that hour and a half span. It gives them time least to explain their subject or what they were going to teach. But in church, somehow, we've come so modernized, so civilized, so intelligent, something didn't happen to us that 15, 20 minutes is supposed to do it. And we wonder why we have a group of people called Christians today who are ignorant. Now your main learning is going to be you sitting at your dining room table, you sitting at your desk, you studying for yourself because the scripture says study to show yourself approved and you give yourself time to that word. What you're hearing from here today is the challenge to go see if it's so, to seek it out, to discover it for yourself, to find it for yourself. My thing is to throw some pebbles out here and some golden nuggets might be among those pebbles, but you're looking for those golden nuggets. My job is to help cause you to think. Not just be satisfied with what Pastor Brown says. Not just be satisfied with what maybe you read. Not just to just accept this, but to cause you to think that you want to go deeper, you want to dig more, you want to search more. Because in the digging and the searching, you're going to discover a rich relationship in God. And you're the one that has to discover that for yourself when it's you and the Holy Spirit going through that word together. And it's those who desire to grow. The, the Spirit has to struggle with those individuals. He has to fight with those individuals. Turn with me to Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Because the Holy Spirit wants to teach. But any of you who have been teachers and have to deal with a student that don't want to learn, but they have to be there, but don't want to learn, that makes teaching very difficult. But when you have somebody who wants to learn, you can't feed them enough. You can't put into their life enough when they really want to learn. Go to verses excuse me, 5, and start pick up in verse 11 with me. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are what? 
Now, now let's admit something. Slow. I'm a slow learner. I have to read it over and over and over. I got to let it go through my mind again and again and again. And I got to ask myself this question while I'm reading the author. What is it that he's not saying? What is it that he's not saying? What questions can I develop out of this that he's not asking at this point? What else is lingering behind this point that he's making? And you want to search for that. And the way you search for it, you find somebody who is arguing against his point of view and you're seeing what he is saying, then you go look for somebody who's arguing against that person's point of view, and you want to hear what they're saying, and you want to keep searching and searching. And in that searching again, the Holy Spirit will give you what He wants to line up with. He's going to give you truth. And he goes on and he says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be what? Teaching. Paul says, he's scratching his head. You guys sitting kind of old here to be having a bottle in your mouth. My aunt used to say it, and it's once, once an adult, twice a child. If I live long enough, somebody will be putting the diaper back on me again. If I live long, it would be soft food all over again. Now, adulthood is not measured by age. Oh, we say at 18, you're an adult now. How many 18-year-olds do you know that are really ready to be adults? You're not out your diaper yet. <laughs> and, and the whole process... We run to this thing of adulthood. Not understanding adulthood really comes with maturity. It's the maturity. It's not that you're big and grown and you're not going to grow no more. You didn't reach the height you're going to reach. You, you're a grown-up person per se. And what is a grown-up person other than somebody big now or whatever? But where's the maturity at? We have men of age that have not yet matured. They call themselves adults, but their function is on a 16, 17, 18 year old. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths. We got to go back to first grade now and start over. That's hard. Because, again, when you go from first grade to third grade, we expect you to have what? Everything you've learned where at? In your first grade, in second grade. When you get to third grade and you're not ready for what's going to take place in third grade, that makes it awful hard on the teacher. And that's what the Holy Spirit deals with quite often. 
Yes, I've been a Christian 20 years and can't even find the book of Matthew. And he says, you need milk. You need milk, not solid food. And that's one of the things that we're very, we make more mistakes in this area. That we're trying to sometimes give people solid food when they need what? Milk. And those who need solid food, we're trying to give them milk. There is, my wife keeps reminding me about something, but we argue over this point. We discuss it. <clears throat> to me, and, and I praise God for my wife, for we have a lot of theological debates. And, 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 and that there's good, because she loves the word. She loves God, you know. And uh, sometimes she even t- tells me, well, uh, are you going to be preaching on this? Are you going to be saying this? Are you going to be... And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, get her out of my mind. Get her out of my mind. <laughs> and, but it's a good challenge. <clears throat> and she'll share with me something. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. And I'm reading scripture. It's not simple. It's not simple. A person got to prepare their mind and their heart. It's not simple. And I understand what she's saying. Simple that the people can grasp it and understand it. Sometimes we take people and want to put them down here when we ought to be bringing people where? Up here. And sometimes I show people are smarter than what we think. (laughs) You know. But that's the sharpening of each other also. You know. And that, and that we're there for each other, you know. And, and he simply says, boy, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant. Now, I like how he says that, anyone. If you're still on milk, you're just an infant in the Lord. Even though you're 50 years old, you're an infant in the Lord. Now, you call a young man a boy, and boy, he's ready to fight. But in reality, that's what he might be. What? A boy. And not a man yet. Is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is not for... Solid, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves or been trained... By the Holy Spirit. That they've been trained. Trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That the Holy Spirit has really trained them to know the difference between good and evil. So you have that person. Those who have no desire to grow in the Holy Spirit is trying to prompt them. Let's grow. Let's grow. Let's grow. And no, no, no. Then the fourth is those who think they are too bad to be saved. There are people 
who examine their own life and they think they have gone too far and they're not worthy to be saved. There's no such person on earth as far as God is concerned. Because it's his desire that all men would be saved. He didn't separate them. He said, all have what? Sin. So we're all in the same boat. Now, you can get to talking about degrees of sin, and when you begin to talk about the degrees of sin, now you're talking about which one of us is the baddest one. Well, we're all bad, but which one's the baddest? We're all worthy of hell. See, I don't want to be in hell even if I'm on the very top level. You don't have to worry about putting me at the lowest. I don't want to even be at the very top. I don't want no part of hell. The whole thing with people is that they need to recognize is simply this. God so loved you that he sent his son to be a savior for you. That God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Just for who? You. You can never be too bad to be loved by God. Nor do... Nor are you too bad that God doesn't want to see you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care what you've done. And a lot of people believe. A good study sometimes is to study determinism over free will. Determinism is hardwired. You have no choice. You can't change anything. You've been hardwired, you're like a machine, and this is all you can do. That's determinism. But in free will, you have that option, those choices to make. And we're going to look at how sometimes God brings bearings and circumstances in our lives to help us to re-see, refocus, rethink over the things that we're in and that we're doing. And sometimes people just think, I'm too bad. And I can't be saved. And when you look at Peter in Luke 5, 8, Peter, let's turn there. Look what Peter says at first. And uh, the, whole, the, whole, the whole process is, a lot of people think this way. No. They, they, they see themselves. And Peter, Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night. 5-8, 5-8, get down to 5-8. When, when, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Now look what he's saying. Go away from me. Why is he saying, go away from me? Lord, I'm a sinful man. Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Lord, go away from me. Not understanding at that moment, the one who he needed was Jesus was standing right there. Rather, go away from me because he's so focused on what? 
Himself. Himself. Not seeing the love and the presence of Jesus, but seeing what He is and not what Jesus is. He sees Him as holy and pure and all that, but doesn't see Him as a Savior, a Redeemer. And that takes the Holy Spirit to do that, to begin to awaken that. Then, fifthly, those who, con- who are confused and don't understand the gospel. And you're able to see that in Acts 13.42. You're able to see that in team. There's that confusion there. Some knowledge, but not the knowledge that they need to really be able to believe. And and that's important, that we're able to get the knowledge, the right knowledge, into the mind, that the mind can process it, and that people are able then to act on it. So in 1342, let me get my eyes. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further. Now they had given some information, but they needed more information. And the people are asking them, boy, would you speak further on this subject about these things on the next Sabbath? In other words, you're going to have to stay because we need more information. We need more teaching. We need more learning. And, and that is that people need that, and, and, but they're willing to what? Admit that. That they need more. And one of the things that has to take place is that people understand, I need more teaching, more learning. That I need it. That I need it. So in Acts 18, 25 through 26, you're able to see it again. It says, let me get there. He had been instructing, instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great Valor with great favor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of who? John. Aquila and Priscilla kind of takes this gentleman off to the side. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home. And explain to him the way of God, what? More accurately. And sometimes people need to have it explained, what? More accurately. They need to have further understanding of it. A deeper understanding of it. Now, this last person that the Holy Spirit deals with. Those who can but will not acknowledge God's claim on them. The two lives that I see that really exemplify that is Jonah and Jeremiah. Both men knew the Lord was in their life. 
But both men also at times fought against that. We see Jonah fighting against it when he's running away from the Lord. Lord is saying, I want you to go over here. And Jonah's running. Now one of the things that all of us have to ask is simply this question. Are we running from the Lord or to the Lord? Which way are you running? I'd rather work with a man who totally think wrongly with the hope of changing his thinking than work with a person who don't think at all. Who doesn't want to give any thought to anything. I'd rather work with the one who thinks wrongly with the hope that I can put enough facts on the table that they'll change their thinking than someone who doesn't want to give thought to it or think at all, no matter what's on the table. They don't want to think about it. They don't even want to even hear it. And <clears throat> those who understand but will not acknowledge God's claim on their lives. Jonah's running. Jonah knew what God wanted him to do and that God's hand was on his life. But still took off running. Jeremiah knew God had called him from his mother's womb. Knew God's hand was on his life. But because of the circumstances, and this is one thing, if you're one who's going to be a witness and who shared God's word, there's going to be difficulties in your life. And Jeremiah came to this conclusion. I'm not going to speak the name of God anymore. I'm not going to declare his word anymore. Because there are those who are out to get me because I what? Do it. Though he knew God's hand was on him. He just wasn't going to do it anymore. In those six people, you find the working of the Holy Spirit at different levels. How we hurt the Holy Spirit when he is only doing his work to help us. To help us with our unbelief. To help us in our confusion. To be able to help us say, yes, Lord, no matter what it costs, I'm going to declare your gospel. Yes, Lord, whatever it is that is of mine, it is yours. Yes, Lord. That the Holy Spirit helping us, not hindering us, not taking from us, not misusing us, but he is building us. He is building us. We grieve him, according to Ephesians 4.30. Choose to be carnal. Christians who choose to live in the flesh, in a sense. 
And you see that in the book of Corinthians. They had all the gifts. But they are choosing to live how? In a fleshly manner. And the Holy Spirit is wrestling with them. Dealing with them. Holy Spirit, you choose to be carnal. You choose to be rebellious. You choose to be stubborn. You choose to be ignorant. And how many Christians today choose to be ignorant because they will not sit in a Bible study. They will not go after things in which they are learning of the Lord. They will not explore what it is to have a deeper life in the Lord Jesus. We choose to be ignorant of the things Because of his unwillingness to teach or to learn. In Hebrews 3, 7 through 10, they had not known my ways, the scripture says. How many of you really know the ways of the Lord? Or should I phrase it in this manner? How many of you are trying to know the ways of the Lord? To know the ways of the Lord in your finances. To know the ways of the Lord your speech, to know the ways of the Lord in your relationship with your wife, your children, your friends, to know the ways of the Lord with your employer and who you should be dealing with, to know God's ways in every area of your life. Do you desire that? Because that's what the Spirit wants to do, is to teach you God's ways in every part of life. Resisting the will of the Spirit in your life is something that we wind up doing often. That we resist rather than accept it. Deliberately refusing to follow His teaching. One of the most important things that takes place in many of us as Christians, we refuse to follow the Word of God. And guess what the Holy Spirit does? And it says it's one of His functions. He brings back to remembrance what the Word says, for I cannot then be set free from the word, he just keeps bringing it back. He just keeps bringing it back. He just keeps bringing it back. And what he is trying to say to us is this, walk in this way. Because we're ignoring it. Have you ever had somebody say something to you two or three times? Well, the first time you may not have heard. Second time you heard, but you're just deliberately going to ignore it. And the person just has to keep what? Saying it over and over and over. Wouldn't it be much easier just to go ahead and do it? (laughs) And you hear it one time? But he brings it back to our remembrance. He brings back the word of God to our remembrance. 
This is how you should live. This is how you should act. This is how you should speak. This is how you should behave. He brings it back to our remembrance what God is expecting from us as His children. He teaches, then He brings it back to remembrance. Because we are a people that quickly forget. We are a people, exactly what Hebrews said, we're slow to learn. But praise God, he's patient with us and he brings it back over and over and over again to us. Why? He wants us to get it. He wants us to understand it. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 6.17. 2 Corinthians 6.17. Because God wants us in this world or he would have took us out of this world. He's not saying don't have friends or relationships with unbelievers in this text. But because we have become a people who know what we should do, there's a behavior that we do not conform to any longer. And he tells us then in 6.17, he says, Therefore, come out from them and be separate says the Lord. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. And then the very next thing is is an action thing. It's a behavior thing. In other words, you don't behave like they do. You don't act like they do. He says, touch no unclean thing. Now that becomes a, a choice on your part. You don't touch something that's unclean. The world may touch it. You don't. Why? You have separated yourself from the world. You're not behaving like they behave. You're not doing what they are doing. You separated yourself from that unclean thing. And he says, I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. Why? Because you've separated yourself. You're not entangled in that sin. You're not entangled in that worldly lust, that worldly thing. You separated yourself from it. But you still have friends who are not saved that you might witness to them. You're just not touching the things they touch. You're just not doing what they do. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just to continue to carry this thought on just a little further. 1 Corinthians 10, go to verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee from everything that does not really believe in Jesus Christ. Flee from anything that exalts itself above Jesus Christ. Flee from anything that is a man-made philosophy. Flee from it. Get away from it. And he says, one of the things you need to learn, and the Holy Spirit will teach you to do it real good, run. 
run. You never have to show that you man enough or woman enough to stand. No, run. You run from it. And, and then he goes on, he says, I speak to sensible people. what I say. And he says, now you got to get into this. And you got to really judge it for yourself. Because I'm telling you to run from something. Now you got to really examine it. And you got to ask yourself, is it really good for you? Is it really going to be helpful to you? You're the one who got to make that decision. You're the one who got to grasp it or let it go. You got to take a good look at it. And, and then over in John 7, 24, boy, a good little statement there. Because it winds up challenging us, especially in this day in which we live. But the crutch of this question is this here. What's the need? What's the need? What's the need? And oftentimes we don't ask that. Because all we see is the difficulty. All we see is the problem. All we see sometimes is how the person is acting. He says, stop judging by mere appearance. Stop judging by just what you see. The question in what you see, you may have to ask this question. What do they need? What do they need? What do they need? Because a person may dress odd, it may be because they don't have nothing else to wear. Because a person disfigures himself, well, they think that's the thing to do. The question is, do they have knowledge enough to understand? And this is where Christians have to come to, too. We're beautiful just the way God created us. We're beautiful just the way God created us. Stop judging from appearance and make a right judgment. And the right judgment comes in, what is that person lacking? What does that person need? Do they need more teaching? Do they need more understanding of what they're doing to themselves? What do they really have need of? More knowledge for that age period? Knowing as they progress, that's going to change. And as they grow older, it's going to change again. Because those needs change. But our question is to look at the person and ask the question. What is their need? Not so much their behavior. Because their behavior is saying, I need help sometime. First Timothy 6.11 We're getting close to the end here. First Corinthians 6.11 Again, the challenge is, boy, how I am behaving and am I growing? Am I hearing the Holy Spirit speak to me? And he says, 
But you, men of God, flee from all this and pursue. Do you understand? A lot of people don't know what to pursue. They don't know what to run after. They don't understand what they really have need of. One of the things that's lacking in our culture that many young people need today is a work ethic. But because they see so many people getting out of work, they figure that's what they need to do. Stay away from work. And yet, work is one of the most healthiest things that could take place for us. If we put picks and shovels back in the hands of people, they wouldn't have to go to the gym. If we just did a hard day's work, we wouldn't have to go to the gym after work. Work itself will give you all the physical exercise you have need of. But because we run away from work, we got to go get exercise. And God gave us work as a healthy thing for us. And he says in this, boy, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. That's number one. We got more people pursuing that which is wrong rather than righteousness. We got more people pursuing relationships side of marriage, people seeking relationships with the opposite sex in marriage. But they seek that. He says, seek godliness. Wouldn't it be something if the church really sought godliness? That we really hungered for that and wanted it? And he says, you have to pursue that. It just don't automatically happen to you. You have to run after it. You have to want it. And it's the Holy Spirit that puts that desire and that fire in there. Then faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of life to which you were called. Now, he's saying, boy, these are the things that the Holy Spirit is going to help you with. But if you quench him, if you cause him to put the fire out, you don't have any fire. You don't have any desire. It's him that's prompting you. And then he tells us to run away from youthful, youthful desires. We quench the spirit. We extinguish his voice. We don't want to hear God's word. We don't want to hear what God is saying. And the Holy Spirit wants to teach us, wants to speak, wants to bring to our remembrance everything that God has said. He is to stop the wrong in our lives. And the only way he can stop the wrong in our lives, if he says to us, stop, here's the right way. Stop, hear the word of God. And when we choose to reject the work of the Holy Spirit, the fire does begin to die. The fire begins to die and the Christian life 
is not as radiant because it's in the decline. Vaccine the Holy Spirit. Let me just spend just a minute or two on that. Go to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. It's an Old Testament term. It's another way of saying grieving the Spirit in the Hebrew, but it has a different effect. And I want you to be aware of the effect. It's mentioned in the Bible some 35 times, and, and when it's mentioned, it's always a fighting against. It's always a fighting against. To be contentious, to be rebellious, to rebel against the Holy Spirit, to rebel and show disobedience by disobeying, to make his work bitter rather than pleasant. It has that effect. That if the Spirit's not doing this, by our rebellion, our quenching, and by our vaxing him and grieving him, he takes on another action that he doesn't really want to take. But you can see it in the lives of people. It is to provoke the spirit into an action he really doesn't want to take towards you. You are producing, however, by your action, aggrieving him and quenching him and vexing him and, and, and not following his leading. You are producing an effect you really want. Isaiah 63.10. He says... Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their what? Enemies. He turned and became their enemies. He is no longer really trying to teach you. He's no longer trying to really grow you up in the Lord. He's no longer trying to bring back remembrance of Scripture to you. He's no longer there interceding for you. He's no longer giving you the power to live the Christian life. He's become the enemy to you. And it says... Yet they rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. I think King James and some others would have the word vax there. So he turned and became their enemies. And he himself fought against them. He himself fought against them. When the Holy Spirit is vaxed, he fights against us. Write down these four. Very simple. It's not out of vengeance. He's not fighting out of vengeance. Nor is he fighting for punitive reasons, just to punish you. 
He's not doing it because he has pleasure in punishing. Or he just wants to punish you or whoop you or discipline you. No, that's not the reason. He's not fighting to gain respect. I'm going to make you respect me. No, he's not fighting for that reason. Not at all. It is a fight to gain your attention. It is a fight to gain your attention. My kids sometimes knew my regular tone. But when that tone went up, I had their full attention. And in a sense, the Holy Spirit says, I'm acting this way. But if you're going to grieve me, you're going to quench me, you're going to vex me, I'm going to act this way. And I'm going to become your enemy. Rather than protect you, whatever will happen to you will happen to you, for you will weep what you sow. I will no longer fight off the demonic host that's coming towards you. I'm going to let them beat you up. I'm going to hold back the blessings that God is sending your way. I'm going to hold back the mercies. Because, see, you're going to learn to listen to me. It is a fight to gain the attention in order that we might be brought to our senses that the Holy Spirit is good for me. That's in. God doesn't eliminate our will. He just brings circumstances to bear upon us that causes us to relook at something, reevaluate it, and thereby hopefully change our mind and say, Lord, talk to me. Talk to me. Let's close with this. One of the greatest things that can happen to a parent is when a child comes, and I mean that child can be an older child, and that child sits and asks, Mom, talk to me. Seeking the advice of wisdom and knowledge. Talk to me. And sometimes parents can't step in. Even though see, they, they see a mess going on. They just have to allow that mess to bring the child to a point that the child is willing to say, and they can be a 30-year-old, a 40, a 50-year-old, that sits down and say, talk to me. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing bringing us to that point when he fights against us that we're saying to him, talk to me. Talk to me. 